Hi, and welcome to this installment of our Visionary Series, where we profile the people behind the future of farming. You can join the discussion on this topic and more at our Vision Conference, January 14th through 16th in Seattle. See the full agenda and speaker lineup at thevisionconference.com. This is Paul Schrempf here, uh, joined by a very special guest this this time. Uh, this is uh, Jess Lohenberg DeBoris with Harper Adams University in the UK. He's going to bring a little bit of a global perspective to us and 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 share uh, some of the things he's been working on. Welcome, Jess. Good to be with you. And uh, I know you're uh, so you took a position not long ago uh, over over on the other side of the pond here. Can you tell us a tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing, what you're working on? So uh, I'm at uh, Harper Adams University, which is, uh, if, if you want to study or do research on applied agriculture in the UK, uh, it's, it's really the place to be. Uh, it's a very agriculturally focused students uh, place, about 5,000 students, only agriculture. So there's, there's no, nothing else besides agriculture. So if you compare that to US ag schools, um, it's a small university, but a big ag school. Uh, my position is uh, I'm the Elizabeth Creek Professor of Agritech Economics, and uh, I focus uh, mostly on agricultural economics, research related to, uh, to agricultural technology. Um, you know, I occasionally lecture classes, I, I uh, advise some graduate students, but it really is an opportunity for me to get back to uh, focusing what I really like to do, and that's, that's research. Terrific. So what are, some of the, what are some of the things that are really interesting that are happening that, uh, that you're dealing with in, you know, in, in Great Britain and, and, and perhaps Europe overall uh, in terms of technology? Well, uh, I'll mention three things, and, and uh, one of them is uh, crop robotics. A second one is um, uh, targeted weed control using weed recognition. And then overall, uh, I have a long-term interest in trying to understand uh, precision ag adoption patterns, and I, I continue to be uh, involved there. Uh, for the crop robotics, Harper Adams is a really great place to be because around the world, uh, lots of people are trying to figure out uh, the, the profitability and the economics of uh, crop robotics, but uh, there's very little data available. So there's some great things going on in companies, but it tends to be proprietary and it does, you know, the information doesn't get out very much. Uh, in most universities and public research institutions, they have some prototypes, but they don't really have functioning systems. Harper Adams has been running what's called hands-free hectare for uh, the last two years. So they actually have some experience in um, growing crops entirely with uh, robotic uh, equipment. This year, uh, we have, we've gotten some new funding and we're starting hands-free farm. So this means not just one field being uh, farmed with robots, it means a, a whole farm and you've got all the, the logistics and other issues that uh, are created when you uh, ramp up the scale. 
Interesting. You know, a lot of the discussion when I was at the, the San Francisco at World Agritech uh, Innovation um, was, was the difficulty of bringing robotics to scale <clears throat> and making sure that you, you had something that was actually going to work on now, you're not just one farm, but a number of farms. It could be replicated in, 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 in different uh, different uh, environments and different crops. And what at Harper Adams, is that something that you're, you're looking at is how to really make this thing scale when you look at the hands-free farm? Absolutely. And so uh, at Harper, we think that while, while a lot of the, the, the work in robotics has been focused on horticulture and high value crops with good reason, because there's a real shortage of labor there, high value. But we kind of think that maybe robotics in grains and oil seeds may be the low hanging fruit because we already know how to mechanize grain and oil seed. We don't have to create that technology. We just have to automate it. And what hands-free hectare has shown is we can automate that very effectively and quite cheaply. So, uh, we just completed a, a, an analysis using the whole hands-free hectare model of what would a UK grain farm look like um, if it were done robotically, uh, retrofitting conventional uh, equipment. And some really interesting things come out of that. Um, one of them is that you lower the, the cost of production all across the board for all farm sizes by uh, about uh, 20 pounds per ton, uh, which, um, so 25 US dollars per ton or so, which gets UK costs of production down into the range of uh, a lot of the major um, wheat exporters uh, in, in the world. And that's a wheat production cost. Um, secondly, it really can reduce the amount of capital required to farm. So that by our estimate, uh, you can, you know, cut the, the capital cost investment required for, for grain farming by half or more by going robotically because you're using small equipment very intensively. So where a lot of, of conventional grain farms, um, you know, they may work 12, 14 hours a day, but with a robot, you can work you know, aside from maintenance time, you can work 24 hours a day. Um, and thirdly, that uh, which is of great interest in, in the UK and in Europe in general, that with robotics, once you take the human beings off of uh, equipment, then uh, you can use smaller equipment. And the fact that there's lots of small, irregularly shaped fields in, in Europe doesn't matter quite as much because with the small uh, robots, they can handle that uh, quite quite effectively. Interesting. Do you think um, some of the some of this technology can be applied to some of the larger fields when you're looking at Brazil and and the United States and uh, Eastern Europe? You know, places that have large, uh, you know, really have the row crops that have extremely large fields. So can it translate to that? Is it different sizes of equipment or just more of the same? Or do you, do you have a view on that? Um, from the, the, the analysis that we've done, I think there, there really will be two different paths toward automation of, uh, of agriculture. One of them will be in places like Europe, in uh, the eastern United States, say Pennsylvania, upstate New York, places like that, uh, Japan, uh, much of China. 
you will get small swarm robotics, essentially. Uh, many small robots doing the, the work that uh, maybe in the past was done by a single large machine. Uh, in the places where mechanized agriculture was very successful, you know, U.S. Midwest, Canadian prairies, uh, Brazilian cerrados, um, what you're more likely to get, at least in the next couple of decades, is uh, an automated uh, large-scale agriculture where you still will have human operators on some of the equipment, just fewer of them, you know, and uh, some of the uh, smart grain cart technology that's starting to be commercialized in the U.S. is one of the forerunners of that. So there, there's still a, a human driver running the combine. It's just that uh, that uh, the grain cart is now uh, automated and, and doesn't always have a human being on it. Interesting. Well, let's cover a little bit about weed control. You, you talked about that as, 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 a, as an initiative that you're working on. What, um, what should everyone know about some of the things that you're doing and finding success with when it comes to weed control? Well, okay, and I'll, I'll advise you, we're just at the beginning uh, of, of this particular. We're not quite as far along as with uh, some of the, the robotic uh, economics issues, but um, uh, it looks like there's technology out there that much more effectively will identify weeds and, uh, and allow targeting them with either targeted doses of pesticides or with um, alternatives. You know, there's uh, one of my colleagues here at Harper is working on uh, a laser that you would identify a weed and shoot it with a laser and okay, that, that will do it. Uh, whatever the, the, the weed killing technology is, uh, this will then substantially reduce uh, the uh, amount of, of, of pesticide used uh, in terms of quantity but may open uh, a big opportunity for uh, some of those uh, businesses that are now supplying chemicals to supplying services uh, because uh, farmers may not want to own some of this, uh, this uh, targeted weed control equipment, especially at first where the technical change is very rapid. Uh, and uh, they don't want to be stuck owning a piece of equipment that, you know, after a year becomes obsolete because the new technology has come along. Um, and a, a particular uh, issue here in the UK is something called blackgrass, which is a particular problem in winter cereals. So winter wheat, which is the, the most common grain crop in the UK, very difficult to control. Um, basically, the, the alternative which many farmers are, are being forced to adopt is to go to spring cereals, which are much less productive in a UK uh, environment. Uh, and uh, they're looking now at uh, some of this targeted wheat control as a way to be able to keep growing uh, winter cereals, uh, but, but keep that, that weed problem under control. 
Well, that's really interesting, Jess. I, I, I know you're going to be doing a, a lot of travel coming up in the next, uh, next uh, as you always have. You've been in, <laughs> a long, long time international traveler. Um, and uh, I, I understand that you're, you're trying to get a handle on adoption patterns and have done some, even done some papers recently and some, some work on, on where we are with technology adoption in different places around the world. Can you share a few insights on, on some of the things that you learn and hope to learn in the next, uh, next year or so? Yeah, so uh, the the paper that we just published in Agronomy Journal was really driven by uh, this comment that I hear all over the place. And people say, oh, precision agriculture adoption is really slow, and why aren't farmers grabbing it, and so on. And so um, a colleague and I decided, okay, we'd take a look at the data, and the data is really clear. Um, not complete, but what's there is clear, is, is that... Um, uh, auto steer, GPS guidance, uh, sprayer boom control, planter shutoffs, all those kinds of uh, guidance and application uh, type technologies are being adopted everywhere where there's mechanized agriculture. Absolutely everywhere. Um, and uh, I think the comment comes from mostly the the uh, reluctance of farmers to adopt variable rate uh, technology, uh, particularly fertilizer, which was among the first of the precision ag uh, technologies. It's it's very hard to find a place around the world where uh, variable rate uh, fertilizer is more than 15-20% of either farmers or acreage. But there are a few places where it greatly exceeds that, which are sort of the, the exceptions that prove the rule, that um, I interpret that that relatively modest variable rate adoption to be a case where farmers are really interested in the technology, uh, but they're not convinced that it's profitable. Uh, but there's a few places where it's clearly profitable and farmers have jumped on it. And my favorite example is nitrogen on sugar beets in the Red River Valley of the North in Minnesota and North Dakota, where some very careful surveys have so shown uh, adoption of well over 50% of variable rate nitrogen because... Uh, if you put too much nitrogen on sugar beets, you get big sugar beets with low, low sugar content, and processors hate that. So they offer a premium on sugar content. Farmers have a motivation to, to uh, get high sugar content beets. Uh, the cons local consultants geared up to do the soil testing and, and so on. Um, University of Minnesota and North Dakota State did the research that showed uh, what the optimal level of nitrogen was. And so all the pieces, all the puzzle pieces came together and you had high adoption. Uh, we don't find that in very many other, uh, other parts of the world. It's very difficult. Uh, you know, that I was writing something recently and, and almost the need to decommoditize a lot of agriculture because we've gotten to the point where we can produce these this stuff pretty readily even under very stressful conditions uh, it seems to have evened out farming overall and until you find something that either makes a difference in the crop or delivers some extra value it it make it does make it difficult to to forward technology i, I you know that, that improves things well and this is one of the, again the hopeful signs that uh, with the combination of uh, robotic uh, technology, uh, targeted weed control, 
uh, marketing uh, through uh, the internet and electronically, uh, the 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 ability of farmers to uh, serve more specialized markets uh, is is that becomes much more feasible now than it was in the past. And so, uh, particularly again here in in the UK, uh, Defra, which is their Ministry of Agriculture, is really looking at this as an opportunity for agricultural entrepreneurship. Interesting. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. I want to appreciate the, I want to say, say thank you, Jess, for joining us today. Thank you very much. And as you can tell, it's a subject I really like to talk about. You can hear more on this topic and more on the future of farming at precisionag.com or join the discussion at our Vision Conference, January 14th through 16th in Seattle. See our full agenda and speaker lineup at thevisionconference.com. On behalf of the entire Precision Ag Global team, thanks for listening to our Visionary Series.